0: Oh, here we are, Uh, we're going to start into our second message here of our Bible Says What Genesis Edition series, and let me ask you this, how good are you at asking for something that you want? Some of you are great at it, like you don't even bat an eyelash, you are not worried at all, if the answer is no, you will just ask, and then that yes or no, and it's fine, and you move on with your life, hey, at least you tried, and you have not because you ask not, right? Some of you are like, is that you? You're like, nobody's like, no. Like, yes. <laughs> but perhaps like me, you're more inclined to think that if you ask somebody for something, you're always putting them out some way. Like you, like you're bothering them, and then you and you struggle to ask for something that you want. Because what if they said, even if they said yes, you asked for something and then they said yes, but then they resented you for saying yes and they just held some grudge against you. It's still really weird fear, but. And so it's just better not to not to ask at all. Some of us feel that way. It's better just to like, just to try to do it by myself and not ask at all and then I don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. It usually lines up um, these, these these kind of two ways of thinking about asking for what you want line up with our ability to negotiate over something. This is usually correlated. Some of us thrive on Facebook marketplace. Like some of us just love it. Like we're just gonna get a good deal, we're gonna make a good deal, we're gonna sell something for a great price or whatever. Like, and some of us just don't. Like, some of us just don't. Like, I I don't, like, I don't know, I I don't know, I know it's like strangers, and somehow I'm like, oh, well, what if they're, like, offended by, like, that's so dumb. I know it's dumb, but some of us are just not good at it. Some of us can go to an open market in a foreign country, like let's say our Guatemala team on their missions trip, I'm sure you'll go to some amazing market and you'll go in like shop for your souvenirs or whatever you're gonna do. And some of that team is gonna go in there and be like, this is amazing. I am gonna barter, I'm gonna get a great price and they're gonna have so much fun figuring out like how to get the best deal on whatever they wanna buy. And some of us will happily just pay three times as much as it's worth just so that I don't have to fight about it. It's like, it's okay, it's their livelihood. I have so much, it's fine, you know? And so this is like, some of us, we just think differently about asking for something or trying to like negotiate for something. Some of us just come by it naturally and some of us do not. We all have different temperaments. We all have different ways of asking for things. And of course, we need that, we need that. Rob is so much better at this than I am. Like when we were in Ethiopia last time, we were going through an open market and and we're walking through and I'm basically just like, I, th- I think that one's really pretty, and then Rob swoops in, like takes her, you know, <laughs> or whatever. So, like, there's just, there's just different ways of doing. It. We have different temperaments and different ways of thinking about it. We need that. They balance each other out. The extreme of either of these things is obviously not ideal either, because on the one extreme, there's a person who takes advantage of others, and then the other extreme, there's a person who allows themselves to be taken advantage of. So we need a balance and all of that kind of stuff, but there is a temperament in there, and it makes me wonder does that translate in how you relate to God? I don't have empirical proof of this or whatever. It's just been on my mind as I've been studying this passage of Scripture. But I think in some ways it it must. Because some of us very easily and boldly go to God for whatever we need or whatever we want. And then perhaps that same person might also struggle to understand why he doesn't come through with what we asked for in the way that we asked for it. But some of us are more cautious in the way we approach God. Um, In my small group years ago, it was described as hedging, hedging our bets a little bit. Praying a very spiritual sounding prayer, if your will be done. And you don't really mean if your will be done. You mean like if your will be done. In other words, I'm just going to make sure I protect my heart from being disappointed. So there can be extremes in that in how we approach God as well. And today's passage brings this question up in a really striking way, and so I've named this one, can you negotiate with God? Can you barter with him? Can you change God's mind? Have you ever wondered about that? I think in, uh, I think this passage we're going to read in Genesis 18, feel free to turn there as I uh, introduce it a little bit, Genesis 18, if you're uh, with us online or you have your app today, you, of course, can go to the Uversion Bible app, More, and then Events. It's already loaded up there for you. I do think that this passage really does qualify for our Bible Says What series, because um, when you read it, I imagine, like me, you're going to find yourself saying, wait, what just happened here? What just happened in this interaction? And I want to remind you, if you're new or you weren't with us last week or, or um, you have never heard of this series before, I want to remind you that in this series, we are intentionally pausing on hard things. We are unpacking them and seeing how they might teach, rebuke, correct, or train us for righteousness so that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We know that's true of Scripture, so that means that anything we encounter in Scripture has to fall in line with that other scripture, and so how do these strange, curious, difficult passages do that? And I certainly, and I hope that I accomplish a little bit of this even in this month, I don't want you to be afraid of your Bible. I want you to love reading the Bible. (laughs) I want you to love it. I want you to love Leviticus. Did we start Leviticus this morning, didn't we? Oh, we started numbers. We finished Leviticus. It was awesome. Now we're into numbers as we're at our Bible in a year plan. I want you to just be like, this is not too hard. This is not boring. This is not unable to stand up to my questions. Uh, I want you to grow in your love for the word. And I want you to know how to look at the broader context. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, about how I, how I looked at this particular passage this morning. I want you to, to be able to study the trees, like the details and and the thinking and the imagery and all of that kind of stuff. And then I want you to also know how to pull out and, and look at the broader context. I want you to be confident as you open the word every day that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through it and that it can be endlessly explored. I hope that some of these themes will just spark in your heart as we continue to look at kind of strange and unusual and curious passages together. So Genesis chapter 18 opens with a fun word that I challenge you, 10 points if you can do it later today, or even this week. I'll give you the whole week. Using the word theophany in your word. Does anybody know what theophany means? A theophany is a a visible appearance of God to humans. Okay, so theo meaning like God, and then like epiphany, like that that part. So we've got like an appearance or a, a visible manifestation of God to humans. We're going to talk about that actually really specifically in a couple of weeks, but for now I just want you to know that when we open to Genesis 18, here's what's been happening is that three three visitors have come to see Abraham. And to tell him that Sarah will have a baby next year. And she laughs, and then she denies that she laughs. And then these visitors get up to leave and we jump into Genesis 18 starting at verse 16 says this When the men got up to leave they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way Then the Lord said shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if, there are, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? Now we're going down by tens. You guys notice this? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then Abraham said, now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me just speak once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Did Abraham really just negotiate with God over people's lives? Did you guys like if you know this story it might not have hit you that way but really when you pause on that or maybe if you're reading it for the first time like did God bring the number from 50 to 10 because of Abraham's boldness? Was God unsure of what he was going to do and then Abraham convinced him? Is this the model of prayer that we're supposed to be following? I had just I have questions. <laughs> I have so so many questions about this. So I want to pause right here just quickly and tell you how I studied this passage. That made me have so many many questions. I had so many questions, so I studied the passage. So first, and I'm giving you this as a really brief model for how you can do the same thing. Um, What I I always do is if I have a question about a passage, I always want to read the passage that happens or the chapter or whatever that makes sense, the passage before it and the one after it. Um, because I know that this is a story, this is a narrative that I'm reading. So I need to follow the story to make sure I'm understanding any bigger themes that are happening here. I I told you what happens before this. I mentioned it before we started reading. Um, And then you can see in the next chapter, if you just uh, flip over one chapter, you can see that, in fact, not even ten people were found in Sodom who were righteous. And the city was destroyed after a very disturbing scene with the angels and Lot and his daughters and the men of the city. And I had one of our students ask me, please, can we do this passage next? <laughs> uh, we're not doing it this time around, but uh, I will save that maybe for another time. It's a, it's, a, it's a horrifying kind of scene. And I can see that this conversation between uh, the Lord and Abraham then is part of a bigger picture. When I read what happened before what, what this conversation is all about, and then what happens after. So what I did was really quite simply, I used commentaries to go and read about the passage. People who have studied these from a lot of different angles and perspectives and even faith traditions, uh, these, these types of books that we call commentaries uh, do a lot of things. They They look at the original language, so in this case Hebrew, which is what this was written in, they look at the historical and cultural context. They look at the author and, uh, and help us understand the kind of writing they were doing. They, they look at the, the, the first hearers or um, readers of this particular text because it would mean, like we talked a little bit about this last week, it would have meant something maybe a little bit different contextually for them. And uh, one of the great things that commentaries also do is they cross-reference as much as they possibly can, from the passage you're reading to other parts of Scripture, so it doesn't feel like you're just reading like this passage as an island in the middle of like an ocean. But they're showing you how it's connected and where we might see other themes and other things like this popping up in Scripture. So it helps us to understand the whole counsel of God and not take things out of context. It's great. And um, these writers, I will tell you, when you read commentaries, they don't always agree. Like I said, they often come from different faith traditions and, and different kinds of things, different denominations, if you will. Um, so, but, but when I read a variety of people who are studying this passage and they're giving me different pieces of information, it's so awesome because if I do that with an open heart and mind, then I'm able to think it through for myself. Like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. hmm. That's fascinating. I wonder if it's that. I wonder if it's that. And then you can sort of study the trees and then pull back and look at the context again and say, what, Lord, would you want to say to me through this passage? So as I study, I I am working to soften my heart, and I'm working to pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say through your word? And um, the privilege I have, of course, is that I get to do this for my job. So it's, like, pretty awesome. But it's not restricted to that. It's anyone can, can do the work of, of learning and, and uh, going through Scripture for themselves. I will say that studying Scripture, especially if there's a passage you don't understand or it's a little bit more difficult, it, it's a very intentional process. It does not happen on its own. But it is not particularly difficult to do. It's not, you learn these skills in high school, how to, how to do these kinds of things. It requires my time and attention. It does not require me to have a, a PhD or an MDiv or something like that. In fact, I'll just tell you like, really briefly, hey, shout out to my parents in Florida. I'm sure you guys are off campus today. I don't know if they're online with you, but uh, they're off campus today. So I was in Florida with my parents a couple of weeks ago, and we were really struggling and suffering for the Lord on the, on the balcony, looking out at the ocean, the Gulf of Mexico. And my mom and I are both doing this Bible in a Year plan with the church, so we were reading the same passages every day, which was kind of cool. And uh, there was a lot of weird, we were in Exodus at the time, and um, there was just a bunch of stuff that we were like, what? Like, how? But then, like, he goes up on the mountain, and he gets the tablets, but then he breaks the tablets, but then there's a the golden cap, but then he goes and gets the tablets again, but then the people came, but then they didn't come, but then they said they were going to follow him, but then they didn't follow him. Like, when did this all happen? And we were having all these questions going on. Is that what you chat with your mom about over coffee in Florida as the dolphins swim by? <laughs> if you're lucky. Uh, and so like literally, I, I, we were like chatting about it and I was like, why are we asking the question? And so I just, I, I just went online and I started to look it up. I started to look for some good resources and some, so just like what, how did this timeline actually play out so that we could get a better context and we, we chatted about it and that's like as simple as it can be. When you read something that you don't quite grasp or understand, you could just be like, let me just pause on this and just make sure I understand w- what I'm reading in a bigger context. So I implied that process, which is what I do every, every time I speak, actually. I applied that, that simple process of reading a scripture and then going to some commentaries, learning about it, praying about it, thinking about it, looking at it in the broader context, and then uh, letting the Lord lead. And also, I, I will say this, I could preach this exact same passage next week, and we could find new treasures in it, which is really cool. But where is God leading us right now in this morning is what I, I'm asking. And also, of course, of course, as I'm studying this, um, I didn't really know what to expect uh, for this particular series. I didn't have a super clear direction as much as I just wanted to deal with some of these passages. And I found so many fascinating and beautiful things. I'm always a little surprised by it, but I know I shouldn't be surprised by it by now because that's what the Word of God is like. So I've mentioned that there are three visitors. Uh, Two were angels and one is the Lord. God in human form. That What was the word I used, remember? Theophany. Double dare you to use it this week. Don't forget. That's your, that's your homework. And we know they were in human form because Abraham serves them a meal. So they're eating with him. And so that would be kind of a, a cool experience. And um, some consider the Lord, who's called the Lord here, to be uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Meaning Jesus before he came to earth as a baby and before he was named Jesus. And we're going to talk about that again in two weeks. But it's very cool. This is a very cool interaction. And this, it matters because what it means, the fact that, like, it, it's cool. I mean, there's nothing not cool about angels visiting you too. Like, that's amazing and, and such an interesting thing to study in Scripture as well. But here, super important to realize that, that God himself was talking to Abraham and having a meal with him and then sharing his plans with him. And there's a bit of a soliloquy here by God. Uh, The Lord wonders aloud if he should tell Abraham what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. Should I bring Abraham into my confidence? And Abraham um, has a very specific interest in Sodom and Gomorrah because um, it's where his nephew Lot and his family live. And there's a whole history with the two of them you can read about in Genesis 13 and 14. And the Lord decides among himself... Yes, I am going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do. And he shares his plans with Abraham. And he says why he he does it. He says he does it because he has chosen him. And we're told in other passages of scripture, there was one one time in Isaiah, one in James, that he has made Abraham his friend. Like, that's cool too. He's the one who, uh, Abraham is the one who has put his faith in God. He's the one that the world will be blessed through. And so God decides, yes, I am going to bring him into my confidence and tell him what's up. So God broaches the subject of Sodom and Gomorrah with him, and he tells Abraham what he's going to do, and then he waits for Abraham to respond. He waits for Abraham to intercede. In verse 22, it says that Abraham remained standing before the Lord. If you're looking at NIV, probably you have a little note there that this passage, this this phrase can arguably uh, be translated the opposite way that says, the Lord stood before Abraham. And that's a small turn of phrase that's a really big deal because either way, the Lord stood there, told Abraham what he was going to do, and then was just like, you got something you want to say about that? (laughs) Waited for Abraham to respond, this friend of God. He didn't need Abraham's permission to do what he was going to do. Of course, of course not. But there's a really small action here that God just waiting before Abraham Demonstrates a very, very big truth, that Abraham was a partner in what God was doing on the earth. The God of the universe was choosing to be in deep relationship with his creation, even to, to the point where they could be considered friends. Verse 21 tells us that God intended to go down to the cities and see for himself if it really was as bad as he had heard, which is kind of a funny thing for God to say, because clearly he didn't actually, oh, I don't know, I got... I got an email saying it's bad news down there. I'm going to check it out for myself. Like that's not, of course, it's not like he didn't actually know. So why did he say that? It says that the victims of those cities were crying out and God was ready to respond to their cries for justice. Did he really need to investigate things for himself? And in fact, as you go, go on, you realize that God didn't go. Like the Lord didn't go down. Just the angels went, but anyway. So did he need to investigate? Of course not. No. What he was doing was he was demonstrating to Abraham, that he's just. And that he will not let injustice go unchecked. And he's bringing him into his decision-making process. And we may read the conversation between them as Abraham convincing God to be merciful. Or maybe that, to, to, that, that Abraham is trying to get him to consider what is just for the righteous as well as for the unrighteous But of course, God does not need to be convinced of anything. He's simply inviting Abraham to consider the issue of justice for himself and bringing him into that thinking. It may seem like the two of them are haggling over a few dozen people, but I don't think that's really what's going on here. It's more like um, Abraham is exploring this whole idea of justice with God. Abraham is exploring his way forward with God in a spirit of faith. He's building a relationship with the Lord. He's um, asking, he's learning, he's being heard, he's considering the thoughts and decisions of God. And more importantly, he's actually learning and considering the very character of God in this dialogue. Why is Abraham willing to speak so plainly and so humbly and so boldly and ask God to consider this thing? Scripture doesn't say this explicitly. I'm going to go extra biblical here just by what we else we know about the scriptures. But you can see in previous chapters how God has come to him and God called him. And Abraham responds in faith. And over these, these last years, they have been building this friendship over time. Trusting God and then God further trusting and intervening for Abraham. Even when Abraham gets himself into trouble by making some dumb choices... God comes and rescues him and saves him and helps him. And so Abraham continues to walk in faith, and God continues to meet him and remind him that he's chosen, that he's blessed, and he intends for Abraham to be the source of blessing for all nations. And this closeness between them didn't happen overnight. It grew over time. Of course, though, we know that even when God agrees that ten righteous people are enough to save the cities, it's still not enough. The cry from the victims was immense. The sins were beyond serious, as the angels are going to experience for themselves in the next chapter. We don't know how Abraham reacts to God's judgment. There, we aren't told that, like, what Abraham thinks of it. It seems, though, that he walked away from that conversation with God knowing that he was chosen. Knowing that he was considered knowing that he was brought into the Lord's confidence and that he was able to share his concerns and he was able to be heard by God. And so it seems that he walked away convinced that whatever happened, that the judge of all the earth would do what is perfectly just. He had no doubts about the integrity and the consistency of God. I'm challenged by that. I'm challenged by that kind of faith and that kind of trust. I'm encouraged by how God speaks to Abraham in this scene. It has me wondering, as I was considering it for myself and trying to translate this into my own life, I I, I, I started to wonder, how often am I angry or confused about something God has done or something that he's allowed? But I haven't actually engaged with him about it. I just have. Or as the kids would say, I, would just, I just feel some type of way about it. <laughs> I love that phrase. No, word, no other words needed. I just felt some type of way. I have, how often have I made up my mind about God? That he doesn't care, or he doesn't see, or he, he won't act for whatever reason, whatever it is. And how often have I made those decisions or come to that conclusion but I haven't actually talked with him in faith about it. Sometimes I don't ask God things, I realized as I was analyzing this in my own life. Um, I've said this before, and I hope it speaks to you, because maybe you've been there too, but uh, sometimes I don't ask God about something because I'm afraid of what he's going to say. Maybe he'll ask me to do something I don't want to do. Maybe he'll ask me to give up something I'm not interested in giving up. So I'll just stay angry over here and not talk to God about it at all, and everybody will be fine. It works great. It doesn't work great. That was sarcasm. It does not work great. Maybe he'll tell me something I don't want to hear. Maybe he'll say no. Maybe he'll say wait. Maybe he'll be silent and just be present with me. Instead of answering all of my whys. This points actually weirdly. To what encourages me so much about this passage. Is that God hangs around. He invites us to know him. He invites us to ask. God could have said. Hey by the way. I'm going down to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to kill them all. Because it's a. It's in, like the injustice is just, it's, it's horrifying and it needs to stop. There are too many victims and I hear them crying out and it, all, of this, all of this has to stop. It cannot go on for another minute. Bye. Like that's what he could have done. And he's God of the universe and I maybe should have done, whatever. But what did he do? He said, this is what I'm planning because I cannot ignore the deep injustices that are going on here anymore, and I'm going to have to make a judgment now. And then he just waits. That's just pretty incredible. He hangs around. He invites us to know him, invites us to ask, invites us to consider, invites us to question, and ultimately invites us to trust in his character as we get to know him. The glorious mystery of this whole thing is that like, that in, in building a relationship with him is that he makes the choice. Sometimes um, it's so, we're so us-centered. We think, well, I guess, I'll, I guess I'll reach out to God and ask him for my thing. I'll give him that. Mm. <laughs> Actually, what is more accurate is to say that it's incredible that he makes the choice to listen to us. He considers our requests. He responds to our faith. We're not doing him a favor by saying, fine, I'll talk to you about it. He is the most gracious and loving and caring and relationship-building God who chooses to interact with us. Is way more accurate way to think about it. It's, this is a bit wordy, and I apologize for that, because commentaries can be that way sometimes. So fair warning if you're going to get into this uh, Bible study thing, which I want you to, because it's awesome and you'll learn lots of things. This is a bit of a wordy one, but I just, I just I didn't want to paraphrase it because it was so carefully worded I could tell by the, by the writers. Describing what I was just describing, this, here. here's what one commentary said. What happened to describing what happened this interaction between God and Abraham? This would indeed be neither permissible nor possible had not God, by virtue of the mysterious interlacing of necessity and freedom in his nature and operations, granted a power to the prayer of faith, to which he consents to yield. Had he not placed himself in such a relation to men that he not merely works upon them by means of his grace, but allows them to work upon him by means of their faith. Had he not interwoven the life of the free creature into his own absolute life and accorded to a created personality the right to assert itself in faith in distinction from his own. This helps us to understand that God is not a genie in a bottle um, that we, we can say the right words and get our wishes granted. This, this helps us to understand that he is also not a callous dictator of the universe. Somehow, he chooses to bring us in, into his confidence. And, and, and uh, when we trust him by faith, that's the interaction that we get to have with the God of the universe. And it's mind-blowing. And you might say to yourself... That's a, that's, a, that's a big leap you just made from this one conversation, this one passage, but I didn't because I cross-referenced and it's all over the scriptures. You're gonna love this, okay? This is not just what we see. This, is, this passage is just a beautiful way of describing this interaction, but all over the scriptures, it talks to us about how we can have this kind of relationship with God. Proverbs 3, uh, 32 says, "'For the Lord detests the perverse, "'but takes the upright into his confidence.'" Isaiah 45, three, I will give you treasures, riches stored in secret places so that you will know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name. I am a sucker for that phrase. Anytime scripture says that God summons us by name, mm, mm, mm. Jesus knows that my name is Tracy and I'm here in Kitchener and he sees my life. Like that's like if that's not like, I don't even know what to say about, else to say about that. Uh, when my cousin Joey and I were writing uh, the song I Come, which we sometimes sing, sing here, he wrote some lyrics to a second, a second version of the chorus, and he used this scripture. And it says, I come to the secret place for treasures in darkness laid for me, body and soul and mind, I come. And I think actually I lied. It says, I called you by name and I come. Like, I just I just I love this image. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why is it powerful and effective? Because we are so awesome no, because we've, been, we've received the righteousness of Jesus and we are invited to come and make our requests. And he allows for our prayers to be powerful and effective in his throne room. I just, that's like, I'm getting saved all over again all by myself. I don't know. It's okay. Luke 11, of course, this is a famous passage that Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, or in Matthew it says, good gifts, to those who ask him? He invites us to ask. He invites us not not to say, this is what I want. This is what I want. I shared with my small small group. Well, Alicia was leading us, and she's like, "Tell us something that nobody knows about you." And I was trying to think of something. You know, I share like a lot of things. And I said, "My dream car. This is like kind of. They were all a little bit shocked. Maybe this is embarrassing. My dream car is a forest green Mini Cooper." Can't you just see me driving a little Mini Cooper? That'd be so like such a vibe for me. Um, and I, so I, I said that this is not me going to God and being like, I want a four screen Mini Cooper. Ask and you shall receive. Like, this is not a relationship. That's not what that means. It's out of my relationship with God, I can come to Him with every need, with every request, with every burden on my heart and say, You are a good father, and I trust you, and I know you have good gifts in my life. And so these are the things that I need, Lord. And when my car dies, if you see fit to replace my minivan with a green Mini Cooper, I'm cool with that. But it's cool. Like, you know, that kind of thing. This is not a demanding thing. This is a relationship thing. When our kids are little, if you have little kids, you're in that stage. And if your kids are grown, they ask us for things without thinking twice. Do your kids worry about asking you for stuff? No. And some things are easy yeses and some things are obvious noes. Obviously, yes, you can have a hug. Yes, you can have something to eat. Yes, you can play with your friends. No, you can't have candy before bed. No, you can't ride the dog like a pony. No, you can't touch the stove. Like there are some things that you just are obvious noes and some things that are easy yeses. That's just true. But what's interesting is that as that relationship between you and your child grows because they grow up, you already know where I'm going here. They start to ask for what they already know is in your nature and character to give. They might even be able to get you to do something, do one thing, even though you plan to do something else. Hey, we're going to go out for lunch to Swiss LA. Hey, what if we didn't go to Swiss Chalet? What if we went out for lunch to? I'm the only one in my family who likes Swiss Chalet, so can you pray for my family, please? <laughs> They might convince you to go somewhere else or, oh, let's go to El Medina. Okay, but well, this is totally different, whatever. Why? Because as a parent, you choose to collaborate with them. You choose to take their thoughts and feelings into consideration. You don't have to. You choose to, and you probably even delight whenever you can. You delight to do so. That's an imperfect model of our relationship with God, I know. But just something to consider. Just take that imperfect model of, of, you know, because we are so full of faults and weaknesses and things. But think about a perfect father. That perfect, loving, good, and just God. And what scripture says about how much more our father in heaven wants to give us good gifts. His Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And I wonder this morning, do you know him like that? Have you thought about that that's who he is and that you are invited to know him and to know his character and to know his heart even as he knows yours and listens to yours and considers you? Are you walking in the kind of faith that we, we see in Abraham's life, that faith that pleases him, the faith that he responds to, the faith that he has chosen to respond to? He didn't have to. He could do whatever he wants. He's God. And he chooses instead to have this relationship with us. I wonder this morning, are our lives upright and righteous, being found in obedience to Christ, not being found in working harder to make God love you or any such nonsense as that, but being found in Christ, being forgiven and being set free and, and, and uh, living according to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to, obedience to Jesus. Are you, are you living that kind of a life so that you are in a position to know his character and to receive insight from him as your good father. I want you to see this passage not as a negotiation with God. I want you to see it as an invitation to get to know the character and nature of God. He is inviting you into relationship, and the question for us, I think, from this passage is, will you lean in as the Lord waits to hear from you? I'm going to invite Rob. Oh, there he is. This little sidebar. Did you see what I put in PCO? You just have a plan on your own? I love your plan. That's fine. Um, I just put a little song in there, but it doesn't even matter. He can sing whatever he wants. Um, I want, it's just you or you and the team. doesn't matter to me. Oh, the whole team can come. Yeah, sorry. I said Rob, but I kind of met you guys collectively. It's like it's our first Sunday doing this, you guys. It's like we never. <laughs> I was very specific. I'm sorry. I want. I, I wonder if you've considered the simplicity of responding to God the way that Abraham did. Some of you feel like God is so far away and you think, oh man, like I've been, I've been going to church my whole life, and I, I will, I'm never going to have a relationship with God where I just know his heart, know his character. And I want to invite you this morning to know that it is actually more simple than you realize. That the word of God teaches us his character. That's why we invite you to be in it every single day. There's going to be passages that you're going to go, I, What? But we learn and we grow, and I want you to be reading scripture. Why? Because it teaches us the heart of God. It's as simple as being, being intentional about prayer. Taking time every day to lay down in, in journaling or, or out loud or quietly or you go for a walk. Or you have a place that you, that's like just a quiet place for you where you're able to just say to God what is on your heart and contemplate it. Like, listen to what he might say. It's as simple as um, being a part of the body of Christ. I cannot tell you how much I have learned from this small group that I have led. (laughs) I'll come into a group. This has been true for years and years. Uh, Right now, Alicia's leading our group, but I, I love that. So she's leading. I'm sitting in a small group, and we're talking about the scriptures, People are sharing little bits and insights from their life or from their experiences, and you know what happens? I I learn about the nature and character of God from the rest of the body of Christ. got to have those interactions in my life. It's simple. It's, It's not complicated at all. And of course, all of that led by the Spirit, coming to the Word and saying, I'm going to read numbers. I'm going to read a lineage today. In the book of, they are counting the Israelites. This morning I was listening. <laughs> they are, as they, Lord, as they count the Israelites, teach me something from your word. Show me what it is you want me to see. Oh, I could preach a message on that right now, actually, if we want to. Like how God sees each person. I'm going to come to prayer in the same way. Holy Spirit, come into this time of prayer. My mind is so busy. I'm so distracted all the time. I need your help. Come. Come as I so I can I can really speak to you and I can maybe hear what you would want to say to me. You invite the Holy Spirit into any time of connection you have as you go into the lobby and chat with somebody. Ask the Lord, who needs to be encouraged today? Maybe hear what someone else is saying, because it might encourage your life. In a, in, in a small group. And it's you're thinking about somebody's been on your mind and heart lately. You're, you're going to invite them for dinner and you're not going to worry that your house isn't perfect or that you're not the gourmet cook and you're just going to have them for dinner and you're just going to encourage them and say, Holy Spirit, bring us together. My neighbor or my church, some of my church family or somebody, I'm going I'm to do the thing so that I can, I can hear more about who you are. I can learn from the rest of the body of Christ. I'm going to put myself in the place where I can do that. simple. so simple. We invite the Holy Spirit into all of this. So the team's just gonna lead us for a moment and I, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that in a quiet place here this morning. I wanna give you an invitation to talk to God. For some of you, you're just gonna continue the conversation you started this morning. For some of you, there's a lot of distance it feels like between you and God and can I just tell you that it's not really a distance, it's more of a turning and you're gonna find out he was, he's right there something that you've been afraid to pray about, something that you have been holding on to, something um, he's going to speak to your heart about, whatever it is, I'm going to invite you to use this moment to just let that, just build a relationship with Lord and let him speak about his character and his will. Let him show you that he, you can trust him. Whatever it is that you want, you've been wrestling through, whatever it is that you need to talk to him about, This is not the end of that conversation, but some of us need to start that conversation today. That's the invitation I see in Genesis 18. So why don't we stand together? Let me pray simply for you that the Holy Spirit would come and do what he wants to do here. And then as we're led, you have whatever conversation with God you need to have. So we quiet our hearts, Lord. We don't want to run away from this moment. We are not afraid to talk to you. We think about the fact that you waited to hear from Abraham and that we, through that incredible blessing of of all that you did through Abraham's life and lineage, all the way to Jesus, gives us the chance now to be able to build that same relationship with you, that we would be considered friends of God. Lord, that's a big, that's a big concept for us. Would you come and to each one individually, to everyone off campus this morning, would you come and say in us and through us and to us what you would want to say, even as we step out boldly like Abraham and say to you the thing that's on our heart. Come Holy Spirit, work in us now.